You're listening to Seeking Change, the podcast where industry collaborates on eco-efficient minerals and made possible by the generosity of our sponsors and volunteers. In today's episode, we are joined by Seek International Executive President and Director Janine Herzig and MPhil candidate at the Sustainable Minerals Institute, Centre for Social Responsibility in Mining, Angelica Amanda Andrade, as we discuss her studies and the impact of tailings failures. Hello and welcome. It's wonderful to be having a conversation today with Angelica Amanda Andrade, uh, who's from Brumadinho in Brazil and currently in Brisbane and has been here for now 12 months and uh, embarking on some study. So thank you so much, uh, Angelica, for having a chat to to seek on this podcast uh, today. It's wonderful to to see you uh, again. Thank you so much, Janine. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for the invitation. You're very welcome. So Angelica has become a friend of SEEK and a friend of the Met Plant Conference, uh, as well as working with us on various other initiatives in the area of tailings, water, and the effects of when bad designs uh, impact communities in, in terrible ways. So Angelica's really an advocate for those communities and the suffering that happens in the aftermath. So, Angelica, could you tell us about your master's? Yeah. So, my master's at the University of Queensland is an MPhil. And the focus of my research is going to be around tailings failures and community consultation and the pathways to prevent disasters and reduce fatalities and how having meaningful engagement and effective engagement can assist in that prospect and in saving saving lives basically that's my main focus and of course it comes from my personal experience and having lost my sister was such a, a traumatic experience which I'll carry w- with me for the rest of my life and I would like to investigate now scientifically perhaps being able to bring a little bit of help and uh, and fresh eyes to this subject and on how we can avoid this in the future. So your your experience then with your sister, could you just explain a little bit about that? So that was how long ago and what's been happening since? Yeah, so my sister was uh, a worker at Vale, the largest mining company in Brazil. And she had been working there for 10 years. And on January 25th, 2019, unfortunately, the B1 tailings dam failed. It released an enormous amount of slurry tailings, which acted like an avalanche and destroyed very quickly everything that was on its way. And the administrative office where she worked and and the cafeteria where she and so many others were having lunch at that moment were completely destroyed. And unfortunately, she was one of the 272 victims. And shortly after the event, we we came to discover that the information that the company had prior to the failure was enough for them to have acted on it in terms of preserving lives. And my sister could and should have been kept safe. 
that was what motivated me to become an activist and to start the advocacy, trying to raise awareness to the fact that Valley failed and, and the mining sector as a whole failed with it when it decided to act in a way that prioritized economic development over people's safety. And that shift is what I pursue with my activism, raising awareness that life should be first, always, and foremost, and it should be preserved no matter what, no matter the cost. That's just so devastating, Angelica. You're saying that Vale knew that the dam was unsafe and did not warn the employees. Now, Vale is obviously a very big company, has many, many mines and many tailings dams. How, how do you reconcile that, you know, lack of care for communities and for people working for them versus them continuing to operate an unsafe environment and, you know, continue to make a profit? Uh, it's it's so hard for me to go into that because I think if I were in that position, if I had the documents in my hand mm. and thought that this tailings dam is at a risk of failure, and we had had examples before of failures. We had in 2015 in Brazil the San Marco failure, which killed 19 people. And so it was known that it was an actual risk and not something, not a rare occurrence that it could actually happen. And for them to look at the papers and decide to simply continue the operation, like honestly, as a human being, that that's so hard for me to, to comprehend because if it were my decision, I, I would immediately evacuate the area and put measures in place to make sure that everybody was aware of what was happening, of the actual level of unsafety mm -hmm. was try to save lives. That's what I would do if I were in that position. Unfortunately, I think that Valley's way at the moment was the standardized way across the sector. I don't think it was only them that acted that way. And Honestly, I think there are companies to this day that still operating that matter because they had not had a catastrophic failure. And that is why I think raising awareness to what happened in Brumadinho is so important to avoid that it happens in other companies in other countries because definitely it was a wake-up call to Valley when it happened. And in terms of geotechnical aspects, they have changed drastically. They have implemented now lots of safety measures to prevent catastrophic failures. But unfortunately, the price that it was paid for that change to happen was too high. So I paid that price. And it was unfair for my parents to have to pay that price for value to change. And so I, what I hope is that the life of my sister, the life of those people, that it serves a purpose of saving lives in the future. Exactly. It's, you know, one life would be too many, but to have 232 lives plus the, the thousands of others impacted is, is just uh, off the scale. So are you seeing, um, you said that there's been changes in practices. Is enough being done? And is that something that your masters will be looking to actually lift that standard? Uh, just a correction, 272. 272. Oh, my goodness. And they would have been across all age groups. I'm imagining perhaps there were families as well or siblings or 
you know, mothers and sons or fathers and sons involved too? Yes. The majority of victims were workers, but there were also families. There mm. were even tourists that were at a guest house that was mm. in the Blue Stream area. And there, there is a woman that she lost her husband and her children, and she was the only survivor. Mm-hmm. So there were so many people whose lives will be forever impacted by this. And, and that's why talking about it and making people aware of it is so important. Could you please repeat your question? Yeah, so my question was about is enough being done and is that something that you're hoping to address with your masters is to actually raise the standard to where it should be, which is there are no failures? Well, is enough being done? I am not sure. (laughs) I am not sure. So recently, Professor David Williams uh, from the University of Queensland uh, now, Dave is your supervisor, is that right? And someone you've become very good friends with over the last 12 months? Yeah. Correct, yes. We've become good friends since I first got to Australia. He's a, a great guy and, of course, one of the best professionals in the world in, in the mm-hmm. geotech space. And he visited Brazil. Recently, he visited Bali. And I was very relieved from his feedback regarding his visit to Bali. He said that they are indeed implementing changes but to which degree and if it's enough I I, I, think I have the, ca- the technical capability to say so and regarding my master's I'm not going to look with such a personal look I'm going to investigate through scientific and analytical skills I'm going to be looking more into terms of post GISTM what has changed in terms of engagement because one of the requirements of GISTM is meaningful engagement. And I want to see what has changed in in that regard and how that can help with the prevention of failures. So for our listeners who may not be aware, the GISTM is the ICMM standard that's been introduced. And to varying degrees of, um, I'm not sure what the right word to use is, but It's definitely a good step, but there is currently no real audit facility there for really sort of checking whether companies are doing the right thing and it only applies to member companies of ICMM. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. So the GISTM stands for Global Industry Standard on Tailings Management and it was the culmination of the Global Tailings Review process, which was a process that happened after the failure in Brumadinho, an initiative that was convened by ICMM, the Church of England, uh, through its pensions board and UNEP as well. So they demanded disclosure and transparency from mining companies and they created a, a database. And from there, they also developed this standard, which is applicable to ICMM members. But yes, that. It is a very important step because it is the first global initiative which requires the same standard for companies across the world because many, unfortunately, what we see is that, of course, there is, when we have countries where the government is not as strong, we know that safety will not be as regarded as in countries like Australia or European countries where standards are much more high. 
And so the GISTM does bring a change, which is very important, but it is a first step. And so at the moment, another standard we have, which does bring independent audit, is the IRMA, which is the initiative for responsible... I forgot now what the, the acronym means for IRMA, but it is an independent standard, which is not mandatory for companies. So it's a, it's a voluntary one, but it does bring the elements that I would like GISTM to have. Exactly. So the IRMA is the Initiative for Responsible Mining Assurance. So yes, that's another important group. And it's interesting that a lot of this change is being driven by investors, such as the, the Church of England Pension Fund. Is Vale a member of ICWM? Yes, they are. They are, right. And in terms of their behaviour since the event in the last three, four, now four years, have you seen a shift in their the way they're engaging with the community or trying to make some reparation for what happened? So that process has been extremely painful for us. What we would have liked from the company from the start was a position of humility, of engaging us, of listening to us, being sympathetic. But unfortunately, they were very cold. Mm. They did not engage. The way that they acted was really disappointing and, and hurtful for the families. And it took a long time to be able to try and uh, restored the bridges between us and them. Now, four and a half years later, I can say that engagement is much better than, than it was before. I think that there is some effort on, on the company side to make things easier for us and to address some of our concerns and demands. Of course, not all, but I am happy to say that there has been improvement, especially this year. Some of the things that we had been requesting since the beginning uh, have been addressed now. Unfortunately, it's late for many people because, of course, over this period, we had people who got in even more severe depression and diseases, and there were people who died because of the sadness. There were others who committed suicide. So if more measures had been implemented by the company from the beginning, it would have been much better for us, as I mean, for the community as a whole, and especially for the families, because the, the families are the ones who suffered the most. And in many times, we were not prioritized in terms of reparations. We One thing that was really hurtful was to see that the priority in reparations many times was material loss over a loved one. And the motto of the company is life first. So that inconsistency is something that I've brought up many times. And I think that if you have a motto of life first, you should live up to it or you should remove it from the company statement. And so there are still problems in that area, even though there has been improvement. And one aspect which I personally really want the company to do is to recognize the damage they caused to the victims. 
there is a, a collective lawsuit now happening in Brazil regarding the, the Brumadinho failure, which asks for this recognition for the victims. And so far, Vale has appealed the court decision, and I'm really asking them to be human about it, to be ethical about it, and to recognize what they have done and to pay accordingly for that. Well, let's hope that eventually that message does get through because, as you said, you know, so many more lives have been lost or severely compromised, you know, since the incident itself, which is, you know, just adds more insult to injury and and having that company motto of, of lives first is obviously very hard to, to reconcile. So in terms of you getting settled then in Australia, I think you have visited a few mine sites and seen some tailings operations. Have you noticed differences in, in the standards and what good looks like? Well, Definitely, if you just look at the numbers without visiting, you see the difference. Um, mm -hmm. Australia has not had any catastrophic failures or major uh, incidents which which led to fatalities. And that already shows that something is being done correctly here. And mm -hmm. if you live, for example, since 1965, they have not had catastrophic failures as well. And it's a country that has seismic mm -hmm. activity, so it is prone to having failures. So definitely that that's another example that the industry should look at to see what they're doing right and follow that example. And so I think that ICMM and companies should look at what is being done correctly and follow that example. And so I'm sorry, what was the question? I, I lost track. <laughs> um, I, I was just going to come back to that, the fact that, uh, yes, we haven't had any catastrophic failures in Australia, but, of course, our climate here is largely arid, so, you know, there's less risk factors. But as you pointed out, Chile has those issues, whether it's those climate issues and also those seismic issues, and they have managed to to raise their standards. So that is um, that's really important. So I think the second part of the question was what good looks like, which I think you've largely covered off. Is there anything else you'd like to say there? Yeah, so in terms of what good looks like, I think we should look at the perspective of how tailings management is done, how affected communities feel, if they feel safe, if they feel heard, if they feel that they can actually participate in, in the process, if things are not just imposed on them but if what they want is actually taken into account and before maybe that was not a requirement but at least now ICMM members who are implementing GISTM will have to take that into account because that's what meaningful engagement means so I, I'm really looking forward to seeing how uh, the scenario is, is going to change and is going to what it's going to look like in the future. Definitely. So how hard has it been for you, Angelica, to secure your position, firstly getting the masters, getting yourself situated in accommodation and things like that? Have you have you had any assistance in that regard? So it was not an easy journey. Mm -hmm. <laughs> the standards here in Australia at UQ are very high. I had to gather a lot of documentation. It was an arduous process that took several attempts. In fact, it was not easy. I, I had to, to try 
different ways to be able to achieve that. But I, yeah, but I had lots of support. I've met mm-hmm. incredible people here who guided me and supported me. And it, not just in Australia, but for example, the Church of England and UNEP, they also provided me with letters which helped me in my master's journey. So I'm very thankful to everyone who, who has been supportive of me, of my cause, which is, of course, safety, responsibility in the mining sector. And it really takes a collective effort to achieve that. It's not just one company, one country, one standard. I think it's it takes a, a global consciousness about mm-hmm. we are all human, we all deserve to to have our human rights respected and the first and most important human right is the right to live that right has to be safeguarded and we all need to stand up for that to stand up for saving lives to maintaining people's integrity absolutely it really is something that industry needs to collectively work on and that gives a nice segue really into the next part of of the conversation which is you know tailings and water are inextricably linked for obvious reasons now last week we caught up in brisbane at a a tailings event and the week before that we had a quick catch up at the university of queensland at the sustainability minerals institute and we uh, we twisted your arm, <laughs> we being SEEK, to participate in a, a panel on water at the upcoming Met Plant Conference, which is being held in Adelaide from the 6th to 8th of November. And you very kindly accepted that offer, which we're, we're really thrilled about. It's, again, water is something that we need to forget about protection of IP, intellectual property, forget about trademarks and patents and think about humans and the fact that, you know, water is essential for human life. So that all kind of links in together. So on that panel, we will talk about water management and the fact that context is so important, the boundaries of of where you consider water coming in and out of the system and that, you know, water is very three-dimensional. You know, it's about the quality of the water, not just the amount. So I think it will be your first trip to Adelaide for that conference. And are you excited about firstly participating in the panel and, and you'll be on that panel with some good friends you've met here in Australia, Laurie Remeyer, Phil Bangurda, and Naja Kunz. So Naja is coming over from the University of British Columbia. Laurie will also be coming from Vancouver. So are you excited about the panel and, and visiting Adelaide? Absolutely. I'm very looking forward to it. I think this panel brings a very important discussion because, as you mentioned, water is essential for life. And in tailings management, if it's not managed properly, unfortunately, it can mean death, as in what happened in my hometown. I believe that sometimes when companies start an operation, they forget that there needs to be an assessment of the full conditions of the area. For example, if you are going to start an operation in an area that has a tropical climate, you you need to consider that your tailings will not be the same as if you are in Australia, where you have a a dry climate. And so bringing that discussion is, is very important for professionals worldwide.
because if someone is used to doing something in a certain way in a certain place but then starts working on the other side of the globe the, the process cannot be the same calculations and everything cannot just be the same because you have another context there which needs to be taken into account Absolutely. It, it is so much driven by the geography, the, the seismic activity, the climate and all of all of those things, which is why SIG feels that the, the Global Water Initiative or the GWI, as we've been calling it, is one that needs to be tailored to different regions. We're calling them archetypes, for want of a better word at this stage, which will hopefully capture the sites that have an excess of water, those that don't have enough water or have issues with hypersalinity or acid mine drainage. There are also sites, interestingly, in conversations that I've had where it's typically been an arid climate and now there are high rainfall events occurring that are quite unexpected and the design has not taken that into account. So. There are definitely many, many areas that need to be investigated as things change. So as part of this Global Water Initiative, we're calling out for people to help us collaborate, and we really want that to be very much a multidisciplinary, multi-stakeholder conversation and exploration of different technologies and practices that we can use. And that's why uh, on the panel, we will have someone from the R&D space. We will have yourself there who can talk from the social perspective. We'll have uh, Laurie there who can talk from an engineer's perspective and Phil who kind of has a little bit of all three of those things because it's so important that somebody owns these issues and on many mine sites there is no one person who takes that ownership and accountability for the tailings and for the water management. So I hope that we will be able to come up with some solutions that we can then customise in different parts of the world. So on that panel we'll be really trying to get more interest in this, get more support from industry and vendors so that we can then put together a model to engage with our researchers to actually collect the data and importantly validate the data in anticipation then of a, a further workshop and also importantly education. So you certainly understand the, the great importance of education being previously a teacher uh, and I think that's one of the things that is missing where people come out of university with certain amount of education and theory, but it's then taking that into practice on site and, you know, continuously learning more things. Yes, that's right. I believe that we all need to consider that we are living in times of constant change and we cannot assume that some knowledge we acquired some time ago will be enough for the challenges we face ahead and especially with climate change, with so many developments and even societal changes also have to make us reconsider how we approach things. And in the tailing space, looking at water is crucial for safety and maintaining people and communities safe. Absolutely. And I think all too often we have companies putting out sustainability reports with numbers in them 
and the numbers are absolutely meaningless unless you understand what the number means, what it means for the people who are involved, whether it's a good number and how you can actually work on your process or your the different technologies that you're using on site to actually sort of optimise your usage of water, whether that be getting rid of more water or obtaining water that is um, potable and useful for your process. So that would be one area where you would feel strongly, Angelica, about people just reporting numbers and not thinking about what they mean for, for the people in the communities around which they operate. Absolutely. And I think a point you made there is very important regarding how some data is disclosed, because sometimes if an information is overcomplicated, it will not achieve its purpose because people should be able to comprehend what a report is actually saying. And especially if that information is going to be communicated to in terms of like community engagement, that needs to be made clear so people can make informed decisions based on what they receive. Absolutely. So it's all about that transparency, isn't it? And not hiding behind numbers or this has become a a popular term, greenwashing to a certain extent where companies are not being completely upfront about some of their activities and the impacts that they're having So I could talk to you all day, Angelica, as always, but we might leave it there for now. Thank you so much for agreeing to have this conversation on behalf of SEEK with me today. It's been wonderful to to get your perspectives. So thank you so much for that. Thank you so much, Janine. It was a pleasure as always. And I look forward to seeing you in Adelaide. Fantastic. So just to, to recap there, Angelica will be on a panel at the Met Plant Conference in Adelaide in November, and uh, we'll have the website up there on the screen uh, if you're interested in attending that conference. There will be a strong focus on designing uh, metallurgical plants for safety uh, with ESG considerations in mind. So it's all about using innovation design and technologies to engineer out a lot of these these issues and really showcase best practice. There will be a lot of uh, social performance professionals there in addition to metallurgists, mining engineers, geotechs, um, CEOs, there'll be a whole range of people. So it will be great to, to have people come along to that. SEEK will have a booth and our wonderful executive assistant, Gillian Huth, will be behind the booth, very willing to assist all delegates uh, to find out more about SEEK and about the Global Water Initiative and how they might be part of it. So with that, I will close out and just thank uh, everybody for listening to this conversation and we hope that you'll attend one of our events, whether it's virtually or in person in the future. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks for listening. And we hope you found value and ideas from this episode. Your voice and advocacy can help us to expand conversations in eco-efficient mineral processing. So if you have enjoyed the podcast, please give us a positive rating or even write a quick review on Google or Apple iTunes. 
If you'd like to stay informed and involved, you can tap into free resources at our website, seekthefuture.org. That's C-E-E-C, thefuture.org. You can also subscribe to our regular Seek News, which features information on new podcasts, videos, and events. And to join our expanding group of advocates and sponsors, just email comms at seekthefuture.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at seekthefuture.org. Thank you, and we hope you'll join us for the next Seeking Change podcast.